to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. It's been way too long since we did a Houston Sports Talk. Robert along with RG Seal, and RG is in Houston for this one, so we're actually in the same room doing this together. And RG, I, I tell you what, uh, in Houston, uh, this is what we call winter. You're usually out in L.A., and this is called cold weather uh, this is winter. Well, at least in Houston, it's winter. Winter is coming. I'm in the Game of Thrones mode here, so winter is coming. Yeah, getting out of the uh, the fires out in L.A. It's just uh, yeah, terrible un- and devastating. It's un- unbelievable. Really sad. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Um, the sports side is, I guess, for Houston fans, is uh, saying a goodbye after an incredible run that Carmelo Anthony had in Houston. Uh, it looks like we're going to be saying goodbye. Uh, favorite moment from the Carmelo Anthony era was it the twenty two points in Brooklyn, or was it that that one second that you saw him introduced at at, at uh, the Toyota Center and you were like, let me let me ask you this: which and the annals of Houston history is this is this better than the Ed Reed signing? Is this better than the the Ty Lawson trade? Is it? Uh, I mean, some of the others that we have here, uh, Jason Jennings, or we want to throw out some others? Oh, brother! I, I, th- <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about anal fissures and Kaz Matsui for a second. Oh but. boy. <laughs> <laughs> At least Kaz was here for a while, so you know he had some staying power. I mean, if Carmelo Anthony does have the blaving, I mean that's uh, you know really like you said a short stay. Yeah, Carmelo Anthony. You know we're we're talking and it's it's not quote unquote official, but according to Woj, he's looking at potential teams. And when Adrian Wojnarowski says he's gone. He's gone. Yeah, that's like the voice of God for the NBA, right? When he says something. So, uh, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski reporting this and saying that Carmelo Anthony's eyeing his departure. You have to assume that something's going to happen here. It just is almost it's just a little bit stunning that it happened this soon. I think that's the only thing. I think that a lot of people in Houston are a little taken aback back who are Rockets fans. Not you know, Rockets have had a difficult, a slow start, but... You weren't expecting already to see, you know, Carmelo Anthony going to another team at, you know, 10, 11 games in the season. According to Woj, quote, Carmelo has remained eager to continue to play and try to contribute to the Rockets. Uh, And one of those sources said, and he also said in both public and private, the Rockets found Anthony to be accepting of of his role and responsibilities with the team. The one thing that, I mean, all of that sounds great. The one thing that I find odd, RG, is... You know, we have this whole thing over the weekend. There's all these rumors. And then Daryl Morey comes to to do this press conference saying, oh, these are all false. This is all, you know, I want to get rid of all this stuff. And yet everybody in the know is saying that this guy is as good as gone. And I I don't know what the purpose of Daryl coming out when – he had to know what was happening. I don't understand, like, what's, what's the purpose of it? Like, why What do you, you want to do, give him the truth serum and have him just say, oh, yeah, we're parting ways with Carmelo Anthony. We're just waiting. I mean, I'm, you know, he has to but, speak But, but why have a press conference? I mean, that's the thing well, I don't because get. I think a lot of people were saying, what's going on with Carmelo? Why isn't he here? Why is there this illness? And so he had to come out and address things. But, I mean, sooner or later, we'll find out the, the story behind it. And uh, Car- Carmelo Anthony looks like his inevitable departure from the Rockets. But, again, this was just a... It just wasn't the right fit. We kept hearing after he got here, well, this is going to be different from Oklahoma City, where he struggled his last year of the Knicks, uh, where he was already eyeing his exit and they were ready for a breakup. 
I mean, Carmelo Anthony's just not the same player. He's eventually going to go to the Hall of Fame. We know that. He's uh, contributed a lot to basketball, but he's one of those players that, you know, it's a superstar that's finding it difficult, the adjustment there, you know, at this point in his career. Does he come off the bench? If he does come off the bench, how many minutes is he going to get? Is he going to go to a bad team and be a starter? I mean, that's something that he's wrestling with. But, uh, you know, what we, we do know is that the Rockets, because of the emergence of Gary Clark, uh, that his minutes were going to go down, and Carmelo Anthony just doesn't want to be on a team where he's only going to be playing five to ten minutes a game or maybe even getting uh, do-not plays as a part of the roster, and he wants to go somewhere else where he can be more of a contributor and uh, a factor on a Like on the a Cleveland Cavaliers yeah. or the Atlanta Hawks or the – I mean, I, I don't even want to say the Sacramento Kings because they're – as I checked, they're eight and six and playing pretty well, and they're, they're they're kind of a dangerous team. The Rockets got them coming up on this schedule, and I thought, oh, that's a that's going to be a W. But then the Sacramento Kings playing pretty well with Houston native. Well, what about De- a, another one of his uh, banana boat crew? What about going to Los Angeles with LeBron? Because LeBron likes to collect veterans, as we know. I mean, he'll have a, a say, you know, if if he wants to go to a situation with the Lakers. The Lakers are they need shooters, uh, they need size, and probably somebody that's not good on defense, but being friends with LeBron James just like with Chris is, is Paul. Carmelo is still a shooter are we sure about that uh, he, he, he could hit an outside shot with the Rockets I mean I, I know his thing is the 18 footer but he was pulling up from the 18 footers and he you know he was doing that sort of stuff and I think that's I'm sort I, I sort of believe that that's what Daryl kept seeing I was like yeah that I've seen the last I mean we told you you're standing behind the line or you're going to the basket you're not going to take the 18 foot jumper and then Daryl saw it like four or five too many times and he said okay enough's enough you know you you had your warning we we went through this with you this is what the deal when you come to houston but i mean he can't shoot from anywhere i mean his, his field goal percentage is three point it's, it, it, it's all bad right now i mean i don't know if he's a shooter anymore if, i mean that to, to me he just looks like a guy that's sort of washed up like if he wants to be in the nba he'd be on the back of the bench and he could be a mentor i guess but when you look at it I mean, 32.8% from three-point range and uh, 40% from the field. I mean, that's I mean that's not great. I mean, I, I get it. With the Rockets, 32.8% is good. When Gerald Green's hitting 259 and Eric Gordon's hitting 23.1% from three. But uh, Eric Gordon, you know he's going to get it get it together. And Gerald Green, you know, he got the boot from the rotation too. He looks like... He's gone, or he's going to get you know maybe ten minutes, and if he's hot, you, they keep him in the game. And that's what Gerald Green should have been like. He's a guy that okay, he had his first two or three threes. Oh, maybe he can score twenty tonight. Let's leave him in there. But that's what he, he's going to be, and that that's my concern moving forward. RG with the Rockets is they got to get somebody to add to this bench because it, it can't just be Gary Clark, Isaiah Hartenstein, two rookies, and Eric Gordon because uh, that's that's what you got. I mean, I guess at some point. You know, maybe in, in a t- 10 or 20 years, Nene's going to be healthy again. And maybe in 30 or 40 years, Brandon Knight will finally figure it out and get figure his way out on the court. But, I mean, right now the Rockets bench is just uh, – it's it's brutal. And that's no offense because Gary Clark, man, I'm all, I'm all on board with this guy. He's awesome. I mean, Gary Clark has looked really good on his defensive possessions. He's got one of the higher ratings in the league. Uh, he he brings that energy and that hustle, and it's good to see that from a from a draft or an undrafted guy, but a, basically a a recent college graduate here who or recent um, 
emerging he played four years at Cincinnati so he's a young player you like to see that infusion of young talent because other than Clint Capella the Rockets are generally on the older side now so to be able to have that kind of player who can come in and what Daryl Morey always describes be an asset to the club uh, yeah I mean Gary Clark and he can he can hit the easier three and D type wing player that's exactly what the Rockets need so that's been a godsend to have him uh, emerge on, on this team because that's and again that's also the reason for the Carmelo Anthony departure now we're looking at uh, you know a number of days here hours or Carmelo Anthony's going to leave and he's basically going out the door not only because of what you described earlier about you know his reluctance to fit in with the roster here or uh, you know his uh, inability to kind of do the the three and D that the you know, well he wasn't really going to give defense but the three point shot and trying to do the eighteen footers so there are a myriad of reasons but another thing has been and Mike D'Antoni's been highly complimentary it's been Gary Clark and so it makes it easier to say hey we can give these minutes to Gary Clark he's been playing better he's been superb for the Rockets and looks like he's going to get a contract out of it too because he's a two-way player yeah good guitarist in in, in austin too so he's very multi-dimensional out you know you, you, you music fans <laughs> austin know what city I'm, limits is that what we're going to see yeah, him on there? yeah you know what i'm talking about you music fans in austin but yeah gary clark i mean he's just been a revelation and the thing uh that he reminds me of luau dang watching him the way his body moves, the the length that he has, the, the kind of his jump shot is very similar. And, you know, I, I don't know if this was in his DNA or if it was Dan Tony that got it into him. But, you know, when he's open or when he gets the ball, he's no fear. There's no fear of, like, uh, taking a shot. And and that's what I love to see. I mean, that, that type of no fear from a rookie. And, you know, I, I'm not making an a, a equivalent here because th- this is – you know, obviously this praise has got to come with a lot more uh, stuff in the playoffs. But, you know, you think of Sam Cassell or Robert Ory when those guys were rookies, just the fact that they when they got the ball, uh, they, they did not seem to mind the big situations or, or taking a shot. And it just seemed like they, they had been doing it for, for 10 or 15 years when they came to the Rockets. Mike D'Antoni's expressed this guy has the calm and the poise of a veteran. Chris Paul's mentioned it, too. Uh, what you're saying right there is exactly I mean he knows he can already anticipate the passing lanes on defense he knows just things that you normally don't expect out of a rookie and we know how reluctant you know you've talked about the past Mike D'Antoni playing a rookie or playing remember Phil Jackson the there are certain coaches that you know for they don't want to play rookies they don't want to play guys that have uh, very little experience in the NBA so if you are actually going out there and improving something and playing well and impressing these guys that's saying something what did you think of the Sixers getting Jimmy Butler for Robert Covington and and Saric and uh, I mean that that was pretty much it you feel like they got two I guess above average role players in the NBA. I mean, Robert Covington's kind of the perfect guy for NBA, the NBA, the modern NBA right now. And, and, and Saric, uh, maybe there's still a couple, maybe there's another level or two that, that he can get to, but they're, they're going to be better teammates than Jimmy Butler because, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to be yelling and making Carl uh, uh, Anthony Towns cry and Andrew Wiggins, you know, uh, go talk to his mom or something. I don't know what's going on with there, but yeah, th- those two guys are, are much better teammates that they got, and they got guys that could win now. But do you think that the the Rockets package might have been better? You know, four was it four first round picks? And I, I'm guessing Daryl might have come off the 
we're not going to give you Eric Gordon. I think that's what I read. I thought I thought I read that there was an Eric Gordon trade with two first round picks, and to me that would be wow. I mean, I uh, I, w- I don't want to lose Eric Gordon. Like you said, he's been clutching the playoffs. He's been good off the bench for the Rockets, and and that's somebody that Tom Thibodeau wanted. So you don't know. I mean, they eventually went with the Seventy Sixers trade. It seems to me more that they wanted to get him out of the Western Conference though and send him to an Eastern Conference team. Is it a good thing that the Rockets didn't trade for him because then Daryl is going to throw a ton of money at him uh, this offseason along with, uh, you know, Chris Paul has got, you know, four years. And, you know, we see it already this year. It's like he's he's already breaking down. He's got the sleeve on his arm. He's not shooting the ball well because he's hurt with that. You know, it's it's it seems like there's just going to be always something with Chris Paul. And we're in the first year of four years and, uh, you know, $160 million. Jeez. Yeah, but at least with Chris Paul, I mean, you know the dedication to the craft is there. You know that he's a hard worker. I mean, while he can be hard and difficult with teammates, he also, when he's part of a team, uh, they respect him as a leader. Aren't you you describing Jimmy Butler, too? (laughs) He's he's hard on his teammates. Yeah, but there's so much discord up there. I mean, that would be the thing that I'd be resonant reticent about and then also he's had some injury problems and again as you get older 29 30 years old if you have injury problems chemistry problems he's and he's not he's not a a one or two on a team he's a third superstar type in my opinion the other thing that just has been bothering me i mean we haven't talked in a couple of weeks but this i mean it's it's continued this narrative that somehow number one that the rockets are blaming carmelo with, with what's going on or, you know, the Carmelo, and, and if we're not blaming him, then the national media seems to be blaming, oh, it's Carmelo's the reason why that they got off to the slow start in the defense and whatever. Or this other narrative, which, you know, I, I've really grown tired of, of, well, you know, the Rockets without Trevor Ariza and Luke Baba Mute. And it's just like, well, no, it has nothing to do with that. If, if James Harden is not focused on defense and, and really, I mean, his offensive numbers, the percentages aren't terrible. I mean, they're they're they look fine. They look semi normal, I guess. But you know, still forty one point eight percent from the field is not great. And that was after like this fantastic game that he had, and and the last outing against the Pacers as we're recording this. But you know, thirty seven point six percent from three. I guess that's the norm. But forget all that. I mean, I'm watching him on the court. He's not drawing the fouls. He wasn't going to the basket enough doing that. I mean, it seems like the Rockets have been. You know they're great at at, at uh, getting fouls. I mean they be, they're like fouling left and right now. You know for whatever reason. But you know if this is about James Harden and Chris Paul playing like garbage, your two best players playing like garbage. For, I mean, what's Trevor Reason, Luke Bombard? Do they have like little uh you know little like uh, pills that they hand Ariza and and uh, you know does he got a pill that he's given to Chris Paul and James Harden to make him shoot? But I mean, come on, those guys has nothing to do with them. I mean, you could say. Oh well, they they did something for the for the chemistry of the team, but I mean the chemistry should still be pretty good with Chris Paul, and you've got guys that are are, are I think are pretty decent for chemistry, like PJ Tucker and Clint Capella, and you know the, I I just I don't buy into that. I'm kind of I got tired of that narrative. I don't know if you're just like you're watching that just kind of rolling your eyes. Like well, I, I disagree with it a little bit. I I agree with you that look James Harden has not played up to MVP level that he was last year. And he just hasn't gotten off to a good start. And like you said, Chris Paul was scoreless in, in three straight games the first half and is starting to show his age. He hasn't played well there either. So, I mean, I agree with you on that. But and, but when you look at, like, who are the substitutes supposed to be 
for the uh, Trevor Reese and Luke Mabumute. Well, it was supposed to be James Ennis, who hasn't really gotten off to that that start that you would have thought that you know potentially could have with the Rockets. Carmelo Anthony was supposed to be the offense uh, off the bench. Well, Ennis, like as a shooter, yeah. has been fine. I mean, he's uh, almost forty no, percent from three. But, but but he hasn't been. If you're talking about just cumulatively speaking, Carmelo Anthony, Michael Carter Williams, James en- James Ennis versus. Trevor Reese and Luke Mabumute. It's not even close, okay? Yeah, so, the, I mean, by the way, let's remind everybody that Luke Mabumute has doesn't even play in every game with the Clippers, and I think he's getting like But he was a good fit with the Rockets, yeah, and he no. played well. And I remember there were times last year he said, wow, this guy's indispensable. I mean, you can't have be without him. I mean, when they were making their early run, uh, the Rockets were last season. So it's just, it's just a again looking over he mattered the first half of the season then right. he got hurt and then and, and i felt like he was but never sometimes the same. we know with nba it's like certain players are good fits with the roster we haven't even talked about ryan anderson and at least with the rockets offensive problems the one thing he could give you coming off the bench is he could hit the three so i mean it's like there are a whole bunch of different problems i agree with you that you just can't blame it. Oh, it's Carmelo Anthony in the fit. No, I mean, it's a whole bunch of different things. And that's what Daryl Morey, he's got his, you know, the roster construction. And, and you had a team that just got to the precipice of, like, it should have basically been in the finals and should have won an NBA championship. I mean, if Chris Paul doesn't get hurt those last two games, do we really think the Rockets shoot that poorly in a game seven? Do we really think that there's not a chance that they maybe pull this thing off I mean credit Golden State great champion everything like that but they had a 3-2 lead on Golden State and Chris Paul gets hurt and out those last two games and he had been the closer in the series versus the Minnesota Timberwolves he had been the closer in the series uh you know versus the uh uh, whom I'm forgetting the already right now. Utah Jazz, yeah. The Utah Jazz, I'm sorry. And, and, and then also in Golden State, he had been the one that was key in that Game 5 victory that the Rockets put him up 3-2. to two. So, I mean, losing him was, was critical. And so then you go into this offseason and just these moves, and you think, well, bringing back the superstar players, the Chris Paul, because we were told so many times last season, well, when Chris Paul and – and James Harden and Clint Capella are together. They have this phenomenal record. And so you kind of almost felt like, well, just piece the rest of the roster together. And, you know, P.J. Tucker was really instrumental to that. And, you know, he's gotten off to a little bit of a slow start this season like he did last season. I think he'll eventually, you know, be excellent too. I mean, he's a, he's a good uh versatile player but I mean it's just that it's that's what the thing about NBA and chemistry and from season to season and what and that's really maybe why you have to respect Golden State just what they've been able to do they do have these great players but no matter who they bring in and 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 put around them and the the complimentary pieces it seems to work year after year and then you have somebody like LeBron who just in the Eastern Conference was able to bring up his whole team along with him no matter what I mean if James Harden was in the Eastern Conference maybe he could just you know will his way with Chris Paul to an NBA Finals but you know, as you know, in the Western Conference, it's very difficult. And that's another thing that, to me, right now, that's a, uh, you know, the Rockets are losing a lot of games in the Western Conference here. I mean, they already lost to the Clippers. If they're at all battling for a play, hopefully they won't be. We expect them to be a top four team, but I mean, they already are down in that in that tally. And you know, you'll you just keep losing the Western Conference opponents. You don't want to have a bad. A record in your conference and just beat Eastern Conference. I mean, you want to have a great record overall, but looking at tiebreakers coming up. So they have to start playing better against the Western Conference opponents. I mean, it feels like they've, you know, the, early in the season, it looked like their defense was garbage. I mean, over the last few games, they've corrected. Their defense has been really good. I mean, they're, they've held a lot of teams uh, under 100 points. But, I mean, if you look at some crazy stats, I mean, the offense – offense 30th in field goal percentage before before this Indiana Pacers game I went through this they they were 30th in field goal percentage 
28th and three-point percentage. I mean, and, and like I said, a lot of that's Chris Paul and Eric Gordon, guys that are taking a lot of shots from three and missing a lot of shots from three. They're 24th in free throw. They forgot how to hit free throws. I mean, they're in per- personal fouls. They're 22nd. They're, they're fouling guys left and right, like I said. Uh, they're 23rd in field goal percentage. Um, their opponent's free throw percentage, they they can't seem to guard the free throw line of the opponents. They're 27th <laughs> in the NBA. I mean, somehow everything that can go wrong with the Rockets, you know, I'm just, I'm, it's one of those things where you watch a game and it's like uh, you're expecting some guy to just throw one over his head, not facing the basket and make a, you know, make making ones from half court, like the Harlem Globetrotters or something like that. That's, that, that's the way it seems to have gone. I mean, but part of that is, you know, you kind of make your own luck by forcing the opponent and, and kind of imposing your will and the aggression wasn't there early on defense. It's, it's, it's gotten better and the aggression hasn't been there on offense. And we finally saw, you know, some of that aggression during the, uh, during the Pacers game. And, and finally, you know, James Harden had one of those games where he starts hitting threes left and right. And Chris Paul starts, you know, finally hitting some threes, but you know, they, those guys, you can't get there. I mean, we can talk about everybody else. Those two guys. I mean, yeah. I mean, that should be obvious. You you got to get something from but, those two but, guys. I mean, conversely, and I mean, I understand what you're saying here, but wouldn't you rather have this Rockets team looking at how their construction of the roster is? Wouldn't you rather see them maybe struggling more offensively and starting to solve the problem defensively? If I was looking at it and, they, and I and I saw that everything was going right offensively, but I saw 24th, 27th, 30th, and defense. I mean, bringing back Jeff Bezdelic is obviously going to help. We haven't even talked about that. But the reason why I'm more bullish is because the Rockets have offensive stars. They have James Harden. They have Eric Gordon. They have guys that you know that will eventually get things going. I just don't feel they'll be slumping. But if I was seeing the same thing on defense, I'd be wondering, well, this is a team coached by Mike D'Antoni. That's probably, but you know Mike D'Antoni is an offensive genius. You really feel like, at least going forward, that they can figure out the ways. But if Jeff Bezdelic wasn't coming back and if they hadn't shown some progress, on the defensive end. And again, we talked about Gary Clark and, you know, James Ennis and, and Clint Capella and these type of guys, you know, who can give them the defensive in- intensity. I'd be really worried because the way that you're going to beat Golden State is you're still going to have to be able to, you know, do some switching. And Mike, D'Antoni's t- Mike D'Antoni's talked about this. You're still going to have to be able to be very good defensively. So I like that solid foundation on defense. That's what top championship teams do. They have a top 10 defense. So when I was seeing the Rockets beginning season giving up 130 points and looking awful and not being able to stop anyone, that was more concerning to me. I know these offensive struggles and slumping that you've talked about, but Again, over the long term, if we're looking toward the courses, to me, that's at least an indicator. I can be more optimistic about this team now because if they can get the defensive side settled and if, you know, again, Carmelo Anthony is not going to be on the floor who is a defensive liability and, you know, they get the right, you know, defensive people out there, plus they put shooters on the floor and they can get to scoring again with a team led by James Harden. I feel more optimistic about this team getting to the potential of the level that they could get to. Yeah, and you got to beat the Warriors. You can't be 12th in the Western Conference, so they're going to have to actually move up in the standings well, and start, yeah. start winning some games. But they're, yeah, they're they're five and seven as we speak. And, you know, you look at the Western Conference and at least there's not a bunch of teams that you're going, oh, no, they're, they're, they're running away. I mean, the Utah Jazz are seven and six. They're not playing great. I mean, the Kings are eight and six. Can they really keep this up? They're ahead of the Rockets. The Grizzlies are seven and five. Can the, the Memphis Grizzlies really keep this up? You know, I, I, I'm not super impressed what I've seen from the Spurs, even though they beat the Rockets. But, I mean, you, you look at the standings 
And, you know, it's it's not like you're super scared. And honestly, RG, I mean, we've come to the point where uh, outside of the Warriors, if you take the Warriors out of the Western Conference, the Eastern Conference is way more top-heavy. The teams at the top there are way better. I mean, Boston, I, I, I know they're going to get things together. But you add Jimmy Butler to Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and you know they're going to have some guys that they're going to pull off of uh, – you know when 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 what, what is it that uh, deadline and February March right. the buyouts they're gonna they're gonna get a couple guys that are gonna play for that team like they did last year with Bellinelli and you know Ilyasova I think they're gonna get somebody and then you know you throw in what Milwaukee is doing and Giannis just keeps raising at another level and they finally got a real coach and Budenholzer and and they look fantastic and then Kawhi as I thought that team I figured would actually. Uh, have a really good chance at winning it, uh, at the Eastern Conference and, and maybe competing with Golden State with the addition of Kawhi Leonard because they've got a lot of guys in the kind of modern NBA guys along with Kawhi. And it's he's even raised the level of you know Kyle Lowry so far this year. So the Eastern Conference, to me, a lot of those teams I trust more than when I'm looking at the West. I mean, who are we talking about right now? We're talking about uh, outside of if the Rockets get it together and Utah gets it together – uh, there maybe they're as good as some of those teams. I, I think the Rockets are better than some of those teams. But you look at the rest of the Western Conference teams, and they're all right. Well, but. I mean, you still uh, there's a team that's lurking there that's getting their act together that brought in. And I mean, I don't mean to bring them up again, but the Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron James because we know that also Magic's looking to add to that roster, do some things. So we'll see what happens there. But they're above 500 now, and I mean. You know, they can't be discounted as being like a top four team and, and being somebody that's in the mix there that's competing with the Rockets. And Don't they usually have their usual like real easy? We've talked about this before. They've got their start of the season. Really, have they beaten anybody that, of note so far? The Lakers. Well, they've been, they won on a last second shot the other night for when they against blocked, the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, yeah, blocking Trey Young shot. <laughs> the there. great Hawks good. team of, of all time. But You know, look, LeBron, I mean, he is the greatest player. He seems to divide. Uh, father time at least to this point I mean he he's moving over the Western Conference he's shifted things there he's made the Los Angeles Lakers a, a power player again so I mean we'll just have to see but I mean Golden State's a champion they're they're the gold standard so until somebody you know knocks them off the the throne uh, and especially like you said it's gonna be a competitive Western Conference but they're there are a whole bunch of good teams out there like Portland you know you have the Utah Jazz as you mentioned you know, San Antonio, even though they lost Kawhi Leonard, they still have. And he went to Toronto, who's another team, you, you know, that's going to be in the Eastern Conference that you have to – has to be reckoned with. Um, you know, uh, San Antonio is still a good club. The Clippers have played well. I mean, they've beaten the Rockets handily twice. So, I mean, there there are a lot of, like, good clubs in the Western Conference, and you'll just have to see. And it could be an exciting, maybe, trading but the, deadline. But those other teams, a lot of those other teams that you mentioned, and maybe Donovan Mitchell should be – we should start putting him in this class. Right. but. Um, they don't have anybody as good as you know. A lot of times, it's as good as your best player, Kawhi Leonard and and Giannis. Those are they're MVP candidates, and and Boston's got guys that you know throughout that roster that either could be or at least they're, they're some of the best, some of the better players. Well, you look at Portland, Damian Lillard, right? You have uh, Donovan Mitchell. Um, so I mean, they're players, and then of course the Lakers have LeBron James, who's all world, best you know, Hall of Famer. It's LeBron, 
Uh, so, I mean, they're in the Rockets have James Harden, the reigning MVP. So, and then you look at the collection. I mean, Golden State goes without question with KD and Steph Curry, and, uh, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. So, I mean, that's, yeah. that's Golden a whole State's, different. They're like in know. their own. They, they're in their own. They, they have their own conference yeah. or whatever, you know. And yeah, you mentioned it. Bedzelik is, is back with the Rockets. So, you know, it's good to have the the Brent Strom of the of the Rockets back uh, in place, <laughs> the guy that nobody talks about. And then when he's gone, it's like, oh no, what happened? We don't have Bezelik. It's it's it's. But yeah, he's gonna. Ma- and I think, you know, it looks like they've got the defense all straightened out quite a bit with Bezelik back. But you know, really, where I look at him is being a key factor is when you get to the playoffs. Cause when you really need that X's and O's guy, exactly. I mean, that's exactly what you, and there's a lot of rumors about like, he didn't really want to work with Carmelo because there was, you know, him, there was some stuff between him and Carmelo in, right. in, in a previous location. Yeah. yeah. From the Denver days. And, and so he was like, yeah, uh, you're getting rid of Carmelo. Well, then I can jump back into the, you know, I don't know. Like we 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 we've got like a funeral here in a way for Carmelo Anthony to start the show, but really, RG, we got to get to the to the big funeral with the Astros. In that, um, you know, if you've got a beard right now, just shave it off because the Astros don't want you if you've got a beard. Well, the Yankees, if uh, if Dallas Keuchel ends up with the Yankees, you got to shave the beard anyway. So. Yeah, what's up with that? Like, uh, you know, he finally goes, "Well, I'm going to shave my beard for the." Yan- I mean, come on. Let's not bend over backwards for the Yankees. <laughs> well, he also knows what his statistics have been with over the with the uh, versus the Yankees over the years, and pitching in Yankee Stadium doesn't intimidate him. So yeah, and he knows that the Yankees are searching for pitching. And Scott, a, Scott Boris is going shave the beard, shave the beard. That's an extra fifty mil if we go to the <laughs> Yankees, if, you know, with your contract. But yeah, so take those pictures of Keuchel now if you have them in the beard. If he ends up with the Yankees, because he'll be the beardless one. Keuchel, McCann, probably Evan. I mean, all the beard guys are they're they're out that there will be no more beards in the astros clubhouse and so what do you do with those fear the beard signs just take them to the rockets games yeah maybe you altuve might have to grow one himself or or, or uh maybe bregman maybe bregman grows the beard i mean <laughs> Bre- i wouldn't put it past bregman he'll he'll do a lot of crazy stuff but keichel uh you, you got to give uh props to keichel because wins the gold glove right rg he's got his fourth gold glove with the, the uh the astros which makes him one of four Astros ever to have four gold gloves. Can you name the other three? Any 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 guesses? And I'm, I'm going to give you a hint. Brett Wallace, no gold gloves. Uh, uh, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think it, of uh, some of the other guys that you might be thinking of in that category. Um, let me see. Yeah, uh, like we said before, probably Kaz Matsui. Uh, not for no the, the Craig Biggio. He he's got four gold gloves. You might have heard of him. Uh, Cesar Cedeno. Uh, just a great all-around player. And the rooster, Doug Rader. Wow, Doug Rader. Doug yeah. Rader. That's probably the hardest one for more current Astros fans to, to guess. But Doug Rader over at third base, he was a great defensive player. And he and um, Cesar Cedeno were in the same roster, right, in the early 70s? Right. I think so. Well, I think so. Yeah, I think Doug Rader, he, he went into the 70s. But, uh, yeah, the Astros, boy, I mean, I, I, you know, we talk about all the, all the players that might be leaving, and it looks it still looks like Marwin is gone, which you know, from by all indications, and I mean they're they're not interested in keeping any of these guys, and, and I'm worried about a lot of the players. But RG, they, they've lost what? N- name some of the guys that they've lost in the uh, you know behind the scenes. I mean, we talked about you know like they they got rid of a lot of minor league coaches, including like Morgan Ensberg, who had been around for a long time. But I mean, one of the our all time 
favorite kind of underrated guys. Maybe he's a little bit of the bedzelic of the Astros is uh, Sig Dell. You know, we yeah. talked about him. He was a big part of Ben Ryder's book, Astro right, Ball. And, Astro Ball. And, and, and you get an idea of, of how important Sig was behind the scenes. Also, Mike Fast, too, another part of the Astros' brain trust in the front office. But they also just hired a, a person from the Dodgers who's coming over from you know, the Andrew Friedman's operation. So, I mean, there's always going to be change and turnover in baseball. And it said Sid Medall wanted to go out and explore uh, greener pastures or just find new opportunities. And he'd been with Jeff Luna with St. Louis and with the Astros, helped the Astros win a World Series here. So it will sorely be missed, but it's not like the Astros are – you know, taking a break from analytics. <laughs> How about Dave Hudgens? Do you think they'll miss miss him? He's what is he going to Toronto? Yeah, I mean, the hitting. I mean, uh, you know, they had a record breaking year in 2017, and now 2018 didn't have as good a season. Again, you know, you have changes on the coaching staff. Happened last year. The Astros lost Alex Cora. Guess where he went? He went to the Boston Red Sox and wins a World Series. So, I mean, you have to make adjustments when you're when you're a top level team when you're playing in the the American League Championship Series and the World Series, when you're winning pennants and World Series or, or advancing in the playoffs and having great regular seasons, that means your top guys, your, the people in your administration and your front office, on the coaching staff, even players off the roster, which we're going to see, they're, they're going to be in high demand. So, you know, it's just turnover from year to year, especially with kind of the soft salary cap that there is in baseball now too. Maybe the Astros' biggest loss last, last offseason – when you talk about losses, I mean, Carlos Beltran, I mean, he, uh, you know, the numbers didn't tell you that Beltran was a big loss. But, of course, I mean, he was so key to everything that the Astros did last year. And he was key, you know, doing things behind the scenes in the playoffs. But maybe their biggest loss last year, bigger than Carlos Beltran, was Alex Cora. Because not just the fact that it wasn't that they lost him, but he goes to the Boston Red Sox. And <laughs> maybe the Red Sox aren't the Red Sox without Alex Cora. And then you, you win the World Series this year. Well, you have to give him credit. He won the World Series, he, uh, again, with the Astros. He was a, a really good bench coach, was in demand, and he goes to the Red Sox and manages uh, them to a World Series title. I mean, he's a great young manager. But I, you know, the Astros also have a great young manager, too, and in A.J. Hinch. Uh, so, you know, they weren't going to fire A.J. Hinch to elevate Alex Cora after he just won a World Series. So, I mean, again, you're going to lose your best people, your your top lieutenants, if they get offers to go be the head guy somewhere else. And you have to uh, – Alex Cora, I mean, again, in that series couldn't – have, Couldn't Jim Crane have just given him like <laughs> about six or seven – how many uh, World Series rings do you think would have kept it – it would have been to get, keep Alex Cora around? Well, I mean, again, that series, we saw it. We watched it with our own eyes. I mean, they were just a dominant team streaking at the right time, the Boston Red Sox. You have to give them all the credit in the world. They really – they were hitting you know is Alex Cora up there at the plate when his guys are you know two strikes down and they just hit a perfect pitch and you know they did that what 18 times two strike hits I mean that was just like two two outs and an inning how many times they delivered clutch hits I mean maybe he gives that stabilizing presence up there but you know in the dugout but I mean AJ Hinch the year before you know they guided the Astros to a World Series title making those moves so sometimes I mean you know I, you know managers they do have an influence and, and great managers. They have to be 
work well in the clubhouse, keep the chemistry of the team together, have that good feeling riding throughout, then also make the right strategic moves. And, you know, Alex Cora, everything that he did this past postseason seemed to work out for him. And sometimes, and the, you know. Well, the regular season, I mean, he yeah. led up to the most wins. I and- know. So, I mean, it's just like he's he did a great job, had the golden touch. But you could have said the same thing about A.J. Hinch the year before. You know, a lot of things, hey, the, the moves that he made in the postseason, the pitchers that he brought in. And so I wanted to ask you, though, turning with the Astros here, we uh, just had the news this past week that uh, Lance McCullers is having Tommy John's, or he had Tommy John's surgery. He was actually pitching with a torn uh, UCL uh in his elbow yeah it turns out i mean he was gutsy i mean he knew that this was going to happen i mean you can't say enough about what lance mccullers and 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 altuve we talked about altuve a ton about what he he was doing with with his bad knee but both of those guys what they did in the playoffs was gutsy i mean you you basically know if you're lance mccullers if you need the surgery it's not going to make a difference if you do it you know a month or two earlier you know you're going to miss the entire year if that's really what you needed and you know, you know, he went to go see some different guys, but I, you know, he had to know in his heart that that that's probably something that he was going to have to have. Hey, let me let me ask you this though. I mean, coming, but we, you know, you look back at the Red Sox series, and they had to do everything kind of like, look, they beat the Astros four games to one. They did that. That everything we said happened to him. But do you realize? I mean, even though just on on that in that series, you had Lance McCullers pitching with a. a an elbow that needed Tommy John surgery. So he's obviously compromised. You had Jose Altuve on one knee, you know, where it wasn't even able to start games and he was still gutting it out. You had Charlie Morton coming back. who had shoulder problems. He wasn't the same Charlie Morton that we saw at the beginning of the season. Right. I mean, he was just not the same pitcher. He'd been off for a while. Uh, yeah, and then you had Carlos Correa, you know, who had the back problems issues. And yes, he started to hit in that series, but it wasn't the same Carlos Correa I mean, that's part of it too, isn't it? I mean, when you play a team and you're – I mean, to me, that just tells me again about this, this Astros team and the way they were able to – even winning, you know, all the games that they did during the regular season. And they still dominated the Indians and, and just ran into a great Red Sox team. Cause, and that Red Sox team didn't have – they yeah, they were without Dustin Pedroia. But what other injuries on their roster were they battling that were similar to the Astros? Right. I mean, and we talked about, you know, just everything that had to go. We talked about that last year after the Astros won the whole thing. Like, they just – they got lucky because they were healthy and everybody was healthy exactly. all the way through the playoffs. I mean, they got extremely fortunate and we had a quickly – you know, a quick reminder of what could happen on the other end when Chris Paul gets hurt at just the wrong time right. for the Rockets. And, and of course, Mamba Mute, that I, I think still it's an underrated part, maybe not locally, but nationally, like that he wasn't the same during that playoff run at all. And, 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 he, and the guys wore down. That's why you're missing shots when you don't have legs. And you don't have legs when you're basically going with six guys or whatever that, uh, you know, that D'Antoni was running out there. And, and, and I think he could have gone to the bench more like I said but that that just tells you the amount of luck that is in sports it sometimes it's it's, it's yeah. just a it's you know it's they say baseball it's a game of inches sometimes it's the the inches are the inches in, in, in your cartilage or in oh, we your, saw that though we saw that with the uh, the home run you know with Altuve hit that was taken back you know just a game of inches right there the Andrew Benatendi catch or you know Justin Verlander not getting that call right you know and then all of a sudden boom a home run you know there were they're just those little things that happen, and uh, yeah, I mean, baseball is really a game of inch. But to me, it also just speaks volumes about the Astros. They were able to beat the Cleveland Indians, and they, you know, had this 
these injuries. But they, they ran up a, a, again against a buzzsaw, against a great team, maybe one of the great teams of all time. They're talking about this Red Sox team being one of the – and, you know, they really – you know, if, you, if they end up winning that, that game – you know, I mean, I know they went down three one, but if they end up winning that game four two two, I mean, they still might have won that series. Find some do, way. Do you to do think it, Bryce but, you Harper know. would have helped? Because now there's the conversation that they well, made this, an offer for him. Yeah, I mean, it it's hard. I mean, he would have deepened their line. He would lengthen their lineup. I mean, you could have had him batting like when you were talking about during that Red Sox series. It's like. You, I mean, to have Bryce Harper batting behind, you know, you could put Carlos Correa lower in the lineup, which they did. But when Yuli Gurriel was struggling, you could have a Bryce Harper. Maybe he's hot. You have that lefty and his power that's in the lineup. I mean, the baseball's a what-if game. But you have, just have to say, it wasn't the Astros' year. The Red Sox were the better team. They did everything correct. I don't see, you know, you can always say what-if, and if you had this player or that player. Uh, it's you know it's just tough to. Do you think that would have been a good move to get Bryce Harper because you know you might have had to give up Buscaskis and then you don't you might not sign him. Well, if you help. win the World Series, I mean, then yes, and you get back to back championships, it's worth it. But, but yeah, of course, if you, you win know. the World Series, but it's if you worth don't and you you lose and you're probably not going to resign Bryce Harper and you lose a guy that's you know one of your top first round players. pick and, and who knows who the other players were in the deal too because they only mentioned that one. So yeah. Um, that that could be costly, but I like the fact that the Astros are still always looking. At, you know, for so many years we had the, and not to you know slight Drake McLean here and uh, his operation and everything, but remember it was just always you know there were all those those things that you you wondered was this team truly committed to winning because they did enough to contend but not to get championships. So I mean I like that aggressive mentality when you have a window to win when you because we we just mentioned it you don't have all these uh, things can happen injuries luck you know players contracts trades whatever happens your window can sh- shrink in an instant. He would have never traded for Bryce Harper because <laughs> Bryce Harper wouldn't have accepted like a ranch and a hometown discount yeah. to stay stay in <laughs> Houston. <laughs> I just has the a forklift you know. So- so, I mean, it's just like, yeah, I mean, like now looking into the offseason here, I mean, you know, the Astros are going to look to strengthen the roster. But am I worried about the pitching staff? Yes, I am. Because, I mean, after Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole, I mean, the starting rotation is kind of in flux. You can't expect James, Josh James and Framber Valdez and, you know, oh, just put Colin McHugh back in the rotation and all this. I mean, you can't expect That's why, it, I mean, I, I went back to – and I went back to the whole thing where, you know, I, I, I said on Twitter – you know, Kyle Tucker should have been an untouchable. They should have used Kyle Tucker to try to go out and get another big fish. And everybody jumped on me. Oh, you can't trade Kyle Tucker. He's the future and blah, blah, blah. The future with what? Because are the Astros going to re-sign in a year? Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, George Spring, all these guys. The reason why you can win in the playoffs, and that's why I hate losing Marwin this year. The reason why you can win in the playoffs is because you have guys that know how to perform in the playoffs. Marwin has been clutch. Whatever you want to talk about Marwin regular season, Marwin postseason, he's very much the Ro- the Robert Ory, the Sam Cassell of the Astros. Like he he was coming up with with clutch hits. You know, maybe not a ton uh, in the World Series run, but the one there was one that really counted. It was a game changer in that game two against the Dodgers. And Robert then Kenley and, Jansen, yeah, yeah. Kenley Jansen. And you look at the you know. And George Springer, I mean, if they lose him, look at George Springer. I mean, he's ridiculous, and he's been unbelievable in, in the I last I think he's still under contract for a couple more years. Is it, though, two, is it two more? I think so. I don't think he's a free agent after 2019. But, I mean, I mean, there's, we don't even have a conversation about the Astros winning a World Series without Justin Verlander, correct? And what are they going to do? He's going to be 36 this year. Do you see, uh, I mean, what are the odds that Jeff Luno looks at a 36-year-old pitcher and goes, well, I want to give him, you know, he can get... 
you know, four or five years from the Yankees and, the, sure. you know, a hundred and something million dollars or whatever. That's- no, you have a window with Justin Verlander this upcoming season. And the Astros know that. That's why, I, I mean, there are rumors out there that they're interested, interested in James Paxton if the Mariners decide that they want to start rebuilding. And they've been kind of open to that. At you least you like Paxton as a as – a- well, yeah, I mean, he was excellent at a left-handed starter. I mean, the Astros he killed the Astros, loser. but as a as a, the rest of the no, I mean, know, he Major did League Baseball. he did well. The one thing that you have to worry about him is he's had injury problems over the history of his career. Um, but you know, they're they're definitely going to be guys that they look at. I'm just saying that they're the if they're yeah, going to be losing Mike, Mike Petrillo with uh, MLB.com. He's got five guys that they should try to add. And I don't know what you thought think of his list, but you know, there's uh, Sonny Gray, which you do have to get in a trade, but. Trevor Cahill, uh, Garrett Richards, Drew Pomerantz, Jeremy Hellickson. Well, those are those are all kind of reclamation projects, basically. They're, they're, they're guys that, you know, not coming off. Their, look, Sonny Gray completely struggled with the Yankees and to the point where he wasn't even a factor in the playoffs. They didn't even want him, you know, near the pitching mound. But he's got the spin rate, baby. He's got the spin rate, and he's somebody that the Astros could bring in and then, yeah, possibly, like you said, work the magic with Brent Strom. I mean, you know, again, like Garrett Richards has had injury problems with the Angels. I mean, these are Drew Pomerantz was a guy. Remember, the Red Sox were thinking about starting him for, you know, potential World Series game. But he was another guy that was kind of lost in the the background. Uh, You know, he wasn't really a factor with the Red Sox postseason. So you have to – all of these guys are guys that would come in, you know, that could potentially be that, oh, it's a Charlie Morton. That's what everybody's looking for, the next Charlie Morton, the guy that's – had the you know maybe this sporadic journeyman career and then he comes to the Astros and turns into this blossoming star that's you know a top uh, one or two pitcher on most most clubs so I mean that's what they're looking to add you know with one of these guys is come into the right environment you're not expected you already have Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole so they anchor the rotation you can come in and be comfortable you know as a fourth or fifth starter yeah I just don't think you can go. And say we're gonna put three, you know, we're gonna have Framber Valdez and Josh James and you know Forrest Whitley or JB Bukowski. No, you're or, right about that. They they they've got to get. I think two of the three spots that they're gonna have to replace. And again, I'm assuming on Charlie Morton. Uh, we still, uh, you know, don't know. What's we we don't there. know what's going to happen with Charlie Morton. He wants to come back to the Astros. He expressed that. Then he said I'm, he might potentially retire if he does come back. You know, does he want? My, but now there are rumors that he wants a multi-year contract. So maybe he doesn't want to retire as soon as he said he's an East Coast guy. Does he want to go back to the East Coast, be closer to home? I mean, there are just a bunch of factors, so you can't count him in there. What you mentioned about Marwin, uh, of course, we'd love to have him back, but the Astros assign a price to him. I don't know if they want to give him, you know. Uh, 14 or 15 million a season. If what not, what you did know, you think of what Brian McTaggart said about Yuli being the new Marwin? I mean, that's what they that's what they kind of are. I mean, we saw that this past season when Yuli played second base, he can play third base, he can play first base. He's taken he has an outfield mitt. So there's there's look, he's not as good defensively as Marwin Gonzalez. Marwin Gonzalez gives you great you can insert him in there. He's a you know uh, he's a switch hitter as well too. So I mean that's why he's so valuable. Almost every team wants Marwin Gonzalez. That's why you have to think that just the Astros have already said somebody's going to overpay him because if you only had a market of like four or five teams, if you're a big slugger and you're going out, you you have this monster contract, 
you know, you're or you 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 or you have teams that are just looking for that one power bat. Maybe there are a few teams interested. Everybody wants a Marwan Gonzalez, whether in the National League or the American League. He's that guy that can play multiple positions. He's he's really kind of cost effective. You know, I mean, he he plays really good defense. He's a good in the clubhouse. He he can switch hit, so you can put him in as a left hander or right hander. I mean, he's the perfect ball player. Luno for calls him the MVP. I mean, not Luno. AJ Hinch is like he's well, an he MVP. is because he can do that, and that's why you have to wonder like getting a free agent. Look. He's looking out for his best interest. He won a World Series with the Astros. He wants to go out and get a big contract, you know. So who among us would, would not say, yeah, if I can go out and cash it in and, you know, if I can win the lotto tomorrow, hey, if I can get this huge contract, you know, for the next three or four years. This is his prime right now where he can get the large contract because after, th- you know, three, four, five years, whatever he signs for, and he's a mid-30s ball player, he's just going to be looking, you know, t- to if, if not retiring, you know, uh, he's going to be looking to, uh, you know, latch on with a club where he's a reserve. So, uh, you know, I mean, this is the time for Marwin Gonzalez to cash in in his prime, and so you have to wish him the best. I mean, I'd love for him to come back to the Astros. I mean, I, I wish they could find a way to do it. And, you know, hey, if it's similar figure to what the Astros, they come back to where you're comfortable and where you have all the great support. But, yeah, I mean, being realistic, he's probably going to move on. Are there any other starters out there? You know, you mentioned – uh, from Seattle, they're, they're having a fire well, sale. Well, they've talked like, about Marcus Stroman would be another one off of t- Toronto. Guys like that, but you, you know, you just don't know who might be available in the market. And you also have to know that this offseason, uh, I mean, everybody wants Patrick Corbin. You know, they everybody, the uh, he's a free agent and he's, He's going to command big dollars, you know, and, and Dallas Keuchel, the Astros. The, the Yankees are going to be targeting guys like that. They're also going to be targeting the the James Pact. They're going to be going after everybody because the Yankees realize they've got money this offseason and they need to fix their pitching staff. So almost every big arm, they realize they lost out to the Astros on Garrett Cole last year. So they're not going to be uh, shy about acquiring big name talent this offseason. And if you look around baseball, there are other teams that are going to be looking to acquire starters too, starting pitching. And and the Cleveland Indians have already said that they're possibly open to trading Corey Kluber, Corey Kluber, and Carlos Carrasco. So those guys might be on the move. Yeah. So Ken I Rosenthal mean, brought up the Astros when he was talking. Well, about Well, because Kluber. the Astros again, they they are looking. They have the one thing, like you said earlier, they have depth. They have like uh, on the farm system, so they have. I don't know if they want to get rid of Forrest Whitley. I mean, that's the one guy because of just his talent pitching. It's so hard to come by. But like a J.B. Buskowskis, who's who you mentioned earlier, was already kind of in that Bryce Harbor discussions. I mean, Kyle Tucker, he's already been mentioned in trade discussions. I mean, they have a deep farm system of guys that they could use to 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 go out and get that quality ace type starting pitcher. Kyle Tucker, though, is one of those guys that he's like that that he's like that new car that you just you you it, you know it was worth like. 30,000, but then you drove it a couple hundred miles and then it just, it it lost like a ton of its value, I think. I don't know if it lost a ton of its value. I mean, I know that Kyle Truck. Tucker struggled up here, but I mean, I'll always go back and people will be, oh, well, that's Mike Trout. He's one in a million, and he really is, but I mean, he struggled in his first hundred at-bats. He batted like 220. He just looked, he wasn't Mike Trout. You know, he had, you know, uh, and and Kyle Tucker is somebody who's taken an adjustment at every level, but we saw in spring training, you know, uh, what he has the ability to do. We've seen, like, they compared his swing to Ted Williams, and we saw that he had a great season at AAA. So, I mean, he's he's got kind of the pedigree. So I still think that, yeah, maybe some clubs might view a little, well, he struggled a little bit in the middle, but I think overall they're going to be, you know, this guy is a guy that could, you know, they'd love to trade for him and, and, and have a, if the Astros make him available. Remember, the Astros, 
they still, you know, he's somebody that it could be a factor because they still have a need for left field uh, because with Marwin Gonzalez going and, uh, you know, obviously that right now would be Tony Kemp and Jake Marisnik and they're more suited to be, uh, you know, probably in reserve roles uh, with, with the Astros. So, I mean, you have that opening for Kyle Tucker to take it in left field. But, you know, if you can also strengthen your club, like you said, going in pursuit of a championship, then that's, you know, also going to be a factor here for the Astros front office. Tony Kemp, I love that guy. There was on Twitter, I don't know if you saw this, RG, but somebody had tweeted something about, hey, yeah, I saw Tony Kemp. I was up in Nashville. I saw him at, at this place or whatever. You know, I, I, I was going to go up to him, but I didn't want a fanboy or whatever. And Tony Kemp just retweeted the tweet, and he said, next time, fanboy. <laughs> Speaking of fanboys, it's like we lost the the great Stan Lee, uh, you know, being a big uh, comics fan and Marvel Universe fan. So That was uh, a, a Josh Reddick. He, he, he mourned that on Twitter because, of course, you know, uh, Spider-Man's like one of his big heroes. Spider-Man, there you go. Yeah, he's a big Spider-Man guy. But He seems like somebody would dress in a Spidey suit. Did we bury the lead? The best team in town? Like the hottest team <laughs> in, in Houston? We're not even talking about them? Come on, RG. Well, they had a bye this past week, so maybe we had a bye on the uh, podcast for discussing them. But yeah, the Texans have been uh, electric six in a row after everybody had written the epitaph, yourself included. Yeah, I think I said stick a fork in them. But... Yeah, stick a fork in them. There you go. You were the one. So um, maybe it's like that that tombstone with the Astros in 2005 right that the Chronicle put out so um, but you know you have to credit the the, the Texans the the roster being resilient uh, they you, know, you you cover them with your locked on Texans on a daily basis well, we, we, we debated this on our show and what do you think I mean are the Texans getting lucky? Well, there's a, but we discussed, but didn't you just say this earlier? So part of, part of sports is luck. I mean, how many times have you watched teams in Houston that are cursed, that have bad <laughs> things happen to them, that don't have luck? Don't you like the ball bouncing your way a little bit once in a while and, and things happening that are lucky? I mean, after all those years of bad luck and, you know, we can go back through it. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I just go, People who are who aren't, or maybe just listening to the podcast in their twenties now, or you know, or Generation Z, go back and like read about the Houston Oilers. Watch the '86 uh, Astros yeah. series. Watch the 1980 Astros yeah. series. Go, go. Yeah, but I mean, that, uh, they, we had a whole franchise in town until 1996 called the Houston Oilers. Go, go watch this little game that we like to call uh, NC State versus U of H in, in 1983. Go, right. go, wa- go rewatch that game and Buffalo and like which earlier this year, if people were watching. With the Frank Reich, uh, that with the Indianapolis head coach. I mean, yeah, that was uh, you know back in the days in uh, 1992 playoff game, right? So uh, after following the, uh, or was it the 1993 playoff early January? Yeah, you, you got to give the okay. We talked we, we talked about it on the podcast. You got to give the credit to what the Texans did well this offseason and, and finally did well. They hired a real special teams coach and they went from one of the worst to one of the best in special teams. They, they hired a, 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 um, a, a staff that is much better at keeping guys healthy and on the field. You know, one of the best training staffs in, in the NFL, the guy that came over from Denver, that that's, that's been a big deal that they, they have looked healthier this year. They've been able to keep guys on the field. Obviously JJ Watt, being a huge one, but maybe just that's just JJ Watt uh, being a, the workout being that he is. But if you look at what uh, they did, um, a lot of stuff that they did in the off season has paid off, and a lot of the moves that Brian Gain made. I mean, you got to give 
him credit, whether it's it's Ty Matthew, the signing of Ty Matthew, that that's paid off. That's big dividends. Uh, drafting Justin Reed, Kiki QT when he's been on the field has been good. The offensive line, the guys he's gone out. The, uh, the offensive but line. But it's improved somewhat over the recent weeks. And so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the offensive line, it's still, that's still up for debate, I think, to a degree. But, I mean, who, who knew that Kendall Lamb was going to be the most valuable? Like when Kendall Lamb goes out of the game against the Broncos, every Texans fan's like having a heart attack. Oh, no, we're losing Kendall. Like, Imagine like just a few months ago, you would be having a heart attack that Kendall Lamb is out of the game. I mean, that's that's where the but the I, I mean, yeah, are. they've had improvement over. I mean, I was the first one critical in the very beginning of the season with the offensive line and how bad it looked. But I mean, they've gotten better as the season progressed, which is what you want to see. The defense has gotten better as the seasons progress. Uh, Deshaun Watson, uh, all world talent, a guy that you know we franchise quarterback he's gotten better as the season progressed remember all the interceptions and looked a little bit rusty at the very beginning in the last three games i mean hadn't turned the ball over yeah, not so, not turning the ball over I it's mean, kind of a big huge. deal that's huge and that's why they were having the red zone they were having the red zone problems earlier and be able to convert you know so i mean uh, they've got a true test coming up against them against a very good washington uh, redskins defense and that's a road game and the texans generally haven't played too well on the road i know they had the big wing in jacksonville and they also beat the Indianapolis Colts because of that call by Frank Reich. But, you know, generally speaking, this hasn't been a good road team uh, over the years. So it'll be interesting to see if they can they can go out and, and beat uh, the Washington Redskins and keep this win streak going. Because that sets up – I haven't talked about it, but that's that would set up a big game. Because they're really only – right now, if they were to lose – if the Texans were to lose against – the uh, Washington Redskins and the Tennessee Titans win. They're tied and playing for all oh, the, yeah. the Tights, AFC Tights, South Tights lead. Right, around, right on their heels. But because... that's a Monday night game coming up. So that's a this is a huge game to win at Washington and to set up a, that big game against the Tennessee Titans uh, for you know who will be for, in first place in uh, the uh, AFC South. But if the Texans win this weekend, well, then they'll still have that that lead but Tennessee will get the tiebreaker if they win that so that is a huge game and the Colts are right on everybody's heels I mean the, Andrew Luck I think it's six straight games with three touchdowns or more and then you look at the Texans schedule the good news is I mean they've got they've got it it's all in front of them because they've got all these uh, divisional games at home Colts Titans Jags right. the rest of the way they're all at home uh, remember when the Jags were good like way back when no just like last year they were good I mean the Jags are just gone into the toilet and 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 again that tells you like just we, we we just see saw it in the rockets just that little bit of chemistry change or something changes from one year to the next and everything looks okay i mean the the the, the texans face the eagles later this year the eagles look like oh my god they're going to be that's going to be a hell of a game that's going to be so tough the eagles now i mean you're wondering if they're going to win the crummy nfc east that division is a Crap well, show. Right now, it's the uh, Washington Redskins, right? And then you have the, the Dallas Cowboys, who all of a sudden were, you know, everybody thought they were dead. And then they, they play the Philadelphia Eagles and get a surprise victory there. So like you said, I mean, that's a very mediocre division. And they had the Super Bowl champ, that, and they had everything went right last year for Philadelphia. They won a Super Bowl. They were so dominant. You just expected them to be you know, of the caliber of, you know, winning 13, 14 games again this season. And they've been a very mediocre club. Yeah, I think really, I mean, if you you, you look back at the Texans earlier this year and the, their struggles to start with, I, I think it really happened right around the time that 
the Rockets signed Mello. So I think we can blame him for that. <laughs> can we blame him for that too? Uh, but anything else that we haven't talked about in Houston sports, anything you want to mention before we start wrapping it up? Uh, I think that's about it for today, right? So we have like in Houston sports, let you want to uh, talk some, um, you know, Houston Cougars. Comets history. You want to yeah. talk some comments? Uh, the, the, Rice Owls. I mean, we got yeah, some. By the way, U of H has just been disappointing. I mean, you lose the SMU. I mean, the last couple of games that they lost, SMU, just that, that and was. And Texas just eked out a win over Texas Tech, so. Yeah, I'd like to see I'd like to see some of the college teams be a little bit more relevant this year. I mean, you know, Texas was looking good for a while, I guess, rank, ranked-wise. But, I mean, were you buying into that? They're, they were ranked Well, I, I was until, uh, you know, they had – I mean, the OSU game was really much, you know, that because I felt there was a path there for them to, you know, win the big – I mean, after beating Oklahoma, that was a huge – Did it make you feel victory. like Tom Herman cheated on you somehow? <laughs> oh, wait a second. I don't want to bring that up. A lot of Cougs fans Z- listening. Z- Zach, Zach Smith uh, – <laughs> Do you hear that story about Zach Smith? You you know, you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't. Oh, so. you haven't heard this one? Oh, yeah. remember the, remember the Zach Smith, the domestic domestic violence uh, assistant coach with Ohio State. He he basically went on a tr- Twitter rant against Tom Herman, saying oh, that he was he was uh, he cheated on his wife and, and just like basically he hates Tom Herman apparently. And I I forget I can't remember what Tom Herman said. Maybe he said something about the domestic. I, I don't know what what was said, but. He just went after Tom Herman, and he started telling these crazy stories about Tom Herman and massage parlors and all this kind. Of, yeah, you got to if if anybody hasn't done go just do a little Google search on. I'm Zach sure Smith, TMZ Tom, will have Tom, this all. Oh yeah, no, I, I think it's I think it's all there. But <laughs> sounds like a lot of R-rated stuff with strip clubs and affairs and stuff. So yeah, yeah, this is it's not safe for work content if you start looking that stuff up. But it's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty. Don't surf pretty at crazy. the office. Yeah, so Tom Herman. Yeah, no, no surprise to Cougar fans that Tom Herman would be cheating on somebody. But yeah, that that that's the story. <laughs> well, I just said getting back to Texas football, though. I mean, they did have a you know they were able to uh, escape with a victory at Texas Tech, and um, you know they have Iowa State coming up, and uh, you know they're they're you know it's a good season, but losing those two games right to Oklahoma State and and West Virginia, especially on that that two point play. I mean, again, that you know. Uh, it just felt like in Texas collapsing against Tech in the fourth, having to pull out the victory with the uh, Sam Ellinger to little Jordan type uh, throw there, you know, that was a great catch. Uh, I mean, it was just, uh, you know, Texas, it's, they've been up and down this season. And that's, you know, obviously it's a better season for the Longhorns. But, you know, looking, you know, hopefully you know, they can build upon this. But you keep having to hate having to say, well, can build upon this. When you had this opportunity this season, when you already had beaten Oklahoma and it kind of – you know, like we talk about in sports, you have windows, you have times, you have you have this period. And, I mean, Alabama's head and shoulders, we know that. Like with Golden State the past few years in the NBA championship, I mean, it's almost like you just hand it to yeah, Alabama Everybody's right playing for second in college football <laughs> now. It's That sucks. But And, and, and Nick Saban isn't quite as uh, fan-friendly and people-friendly as Steve Kerr. I mean, at least a, they, they've got a coach uh, – at Golden State, that it, it, I think is a pretty likable guy. At least you can guy. kind of root for Tua, I guess, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I the Houston fans probably don't like Tua because he took away the Houston guys' Jalen quarter, Hurts, quarterback, Jalen Hurd. But yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's Alabama's. I mean, I, I don't even know it's worth talking about college football. There's somebody going to be saying roll tide right now that's listening to us, though. So yeah, Last thing, uh, just a reminder to everybody, if you if you didn't check it out a couple of weeks ago, it, we got off sports totally with an interview, but I, I thought it was – you know, it was an incredible story and, and really fun and super interesting. Uh, Andy Huggins, 
comic, stand-up comic in the Houston area. Go check that out because he's it's a tremendous story. Like 40 years later, he becomes an overnight sensation after starting out at the comedy store back in the late 70s and he was performing with guys like David Letterman, you know, like opening for whatever with Letterman and Leno and you know, at that time at the comedy store we talked about it with him, Robin Williams and Richard Pryor are hanging around there and I mean just everybody and anybody that you can think of that's been a, a, a big time comedian over the last 40 years was at the comedy store back in the 70s and that was the place to go. So you you got to go check him out and then he also befriended bill hicks who's one of the you know sort of comedic legends lost too early that was a a texas guy and performed a lot in houston back in the 80s great story Uh, and andy huggins really good guy 68 years old now but um still doing it you know we if you want to see we want to get to where you can go find him just uh listen to the podcast he talks about where he's performing uh towards the end we talked about it with him but um that that was really fun but uh, anyway, maybe next time it'll be official. There'll be no more Carmelo the next time we talk to you. But uh, hopefully, uh, by the next time, the, the Texans might have gotten seven in a row. Can you believe? Can you believe that the Texans got seven in a row this year? Anyway, have a great one, everybody. Thanks again for listening. And if you're new to the show, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, or the TuneIn app. You can keep up with this show and my daily Locked On Texans podcast on Twitter and Facebook or by going to HoustonSportsTalk.net or LockedOnTexans.com.